Breaking Bad. Here's the one thing you need to know. There's the one thing you need to know about relationships. Here's the clear common denominator that helps in relationships. It's the one, one thing. You've got to have hope. You have to have hope. Hope is very, very important in a relationship. If you don't have hope in a relationship, the chances of that relationship thriving are greatly diminished. If you don't have hope in your journey towards marriage, the chances of you having a thriving relationship one day greatly diminish. Hope is really important. So we've been looking, we started by looking at the book of Ruth, and we started last week by saying that God had told them to stay in the land of Israel, to stay in that land. And then a famine breaks out, and Naomi and her husband do the exact same thing that Abraham did immediately. They leave the land. Even though God says stay in the land, they leave the land, they go to a land called Moab. Does anybody remember from last week what the name Moab means? Who's your daddy? Who is your daddy? It means who are you going to trust? Who are going to trust the most? You're going to trust yourself? You're going to trust other people? Or are you going to trust God? And so that sets everything up. And so now Naomi's husband has died. And look, 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 you know, today, uh, ladies, today, you don't need a man. You can earn a living, to, you know, right? You don't need a man. That's the deal. Back then, you're dead. I mean, you're just dead. You're dead in the water. You're dead. dead. More than likely, you're going to be forced to become a prostitute if you're young enough. I'm, I'm telling you, this is a dire, dire, it doesn't get any darker than this, and you're going to see that in just a second. So she loses her husband. She loses her two sons. She has no kids. She's got two daughter-in-laws now who are both widows. Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. And let's pick up the story. Let's read the, how it begins. It says, Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, two daughters-in-law, Go back. So what had happened is, is they were beginning to return. This is really important. Twelve times in this chapter one alone, it says return, return, return. It's a constant biblical theme. Return. God says, return to me. I'll return to you. Return to me. I'm compassionate. I will help you. I will give you hope. Return to me. Over and over and over. You get it. Twelve times in this one chapter alone. Twelve times. Return to me. And so as they're on the way returning, Naomi and the two daughters-in-law on their way returning Naomi stops she turns around she looks at them and she says go back now this is fascinating go back don't return don't go to God go the other way actually she does it four different times let's pick up the story in verse number 13 why return she says because the Lord's hand is against me whoa you ever felt that way <laughs> not only hey God I want you to show up no 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 God showed up and he's against you this is how she feels because the God's hand is getting me. They wept loud again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back, check this out, everybody, to her people and her gods. Now go back with her. I'm going to encourage you today to return to God, which means more than just seeking God. It means doing things God's way. And it would be very naive for any of us in this room to think, oh, okay, I'm just going to return to God and everything's going to be hunky-dory. It's going to be awesome. That's very naive. There will be voices shouting at you, telling you, don't do that. Go back. And here we see Naomi urging, imploring her daughter, don't head towards God, actually head in the opposite way, back to who's your daddy. Isn't that fascinating? Okay. Ruth clings to her. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. She has been urging her to walk away from God. Urging her to walk away from God. Sometimes we read stories in the Bible like, who's the hero in this story? I don't know. So the two women went on their way until they came to Bethlehem. They come back to the land of trusting in God. That's what Bethlehem represents, everybody. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now let me stop. The, word, the name Naomi means pleasant. Can this be pleasant? Has pleasant returned? Can this be pleasant? And she says, don't call me pleasant. Don't you call me pleasant. She told them, call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. She said, don't you call me pleasant, call me bitter. That's who I am. Hello, my name's Bitter. I thought you were bitter. I'm so glad that you just went out with that, just like that. So she said, I'm bitter. This is who I am. She becomes very extraordinarily honest at this point, and I want to encourage you, this is a great way to return to God. Don't hide who you really are. Confess it. Get it right out there before God. God already knows, but until you get it out there, nothing's going to change with it, okay? So this is what she does. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because, why, why? Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Is anybody, uh, is anybody, don't raise your hand, is anybody feeling that way today about your life? God's made you bitter, God's made you empty. The Lord's brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is a very miserable chapter. It's deep, it's dark, it's bitter, it's empty. God is afflicting, but the last words are a sign of hope. The barley harvest is a time of great hope. What we have prayed for today, that today... God would rend the heavens, as Isaiah says, and would fall down upon this place and would bring hope and healing. Where there's bitterness, God would take the bitterness away. Where there's emptiness, God would fill you up once again. That's what we're after today. How does that happen? I don't know. Let's see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word just puts it right out there. You don't sugarcoat anything. You don't try to show the heroes in the Bible as being perfect people. You show them as people who are begging other people to run away from you fascinating. Help every single one of us to be that honest this morning. Help every single one of us to find hope, hope this morning in you. In Christ's name, amen. A very common theme of the Bible is to return to God. We see it, as I already said, 12 times here. 12 times return, four times. Naomi begs her daughter-in-law to go back and to not return to God. Have you ever felt hopeless? Not just in relationships, not just in romance. I'm talking about have you just felt hopeless? Have you felt bitter? She says in verses 20 and 21, God has made me bitter, <laughs> God has made me empty, and God has afflicted me. Yea, God, go God. God's bitter, empty, and afflicted. So go back. This is what she says. Her life is completely miserable. Now how about in your romantic relationships? If you're married and that marriage is stale or that marriage is falling apart, and you're bitter about that in marriage, can God do anything about it, and what do you have to do with that? In your dating life, 
If you're empty and you're bitter and you're frustrated with God, one of the best things that we can do this morning in the midst of that is tell God just the way it is, just like Naomi did. If you want to return to God, here's your path to return. The path to return is full confession to God about where you stand with God, how you feel about God, what God has done to you, is to get it out there before God, just like Naomi does. Have you ever felt hopeless? Now, here's what studies tell us. Here we go. Numerous studies tell us this. In the United States of America, 90% of us in this room who are single, 90% of us in this room who are not married, 90% of us want to one day be married. That's what the studies all show. 90%, at least 90% of us in this room who are single want to one day be married. Here's my question to you. Why? Why in the world would you want to get married? I mean, what makes you think that's a good thing? Huh? Marriage is tough. Marriage is hard. It's a hard road. And with your chances being so low of being happily married or even staying married, why in the world would you want to get married? Sometimes people, and every time I do a relationship series, I always get the same feedback. Church is all about married people. It's not about single people. In other words, to be a spiritual person, you got to be married. Okay, let me just throw this out there right at the beginning. Let's get Jesus was single, and I think he was quite spiritual. Okay? So you don't have to be married to be spiritual. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, was single, and I think he was very, very spiritual. So if you're single and you don't want to get married, God bless you. Be like Jesus and Paul, okay? That's awesome. The rest of you who are interested, I mean, so if you're here and you're that way, just cheer your, you know, don't rain on everybody else's parade. Cheer them on. What they, when you be happy by yourself. Do your deal, okay? There's no big deal. All right, okay. Why in the world would you want to get married? I'm going to show you a picture. Do you, tell me if you know who this person is. These people, these two people are. Let's look at it. Who is that? No idea. Are we in Washington, D.C.? Is this the political capital of the world? Who is the person? Virginia Governor Bob McDonald. Here's what the Washington Post has to say about him and him and his wife who are in the news so much this past summer. Quote, for nearly a month, Richmond has been host to its own drama-filled binge watch. The corruption trial of former Virginia Governor Robert F. McDonald and his wife, Maureen. Last week, McDonald, prompted by his defense team, took the stand to paint a picture of a crumbling, collapsing, utter destruction of his marriage. One thing the trial has established, marriage is hard. Why in the world would you want to get married? When we have, so, okay, take your phones out. Get your phones out, please, everybody. These phones. We need you to do some texting. This series just lends itself wonderfully to getting your opinions on things. So don't count on us doing this all the time. But while we're in this relationship series, this just works out well. So you have to do, so if you're here last week and you did it, you actually have to re-up again. So you want to text. There's the number, 22333, and you text the word drama. Make sense? I know it does. You all smart, hip, Washingtonians. Do that, you'll get a response back quickly, so we can quickly go through five of these poll questions. Okay? You should be done. Your fingers should be very fast. We know who you are. All right, here we go. Here's the first one. All right. The current divorce rate is approximately 50%. True or false? Okay? The divorce rate is approximately 50%. True, false? 
We'll give you 10 seconds. Okay, uh-huh. I think we see who the winner is. All right, Mark, let's go to the next question. So we basically think that's true. Two to one, it looks like to me. All right. What percentage of people are still married to their first spouse? Man, you guys are like super quick on your fingers on that. There was like no delay. What percentage of people are still married to their first spouse? This is in the United States of America. All right. Kind of mirrors the divorce rate. All right. I think we got the winner on that. Mark, third question. The divorce rate, this is good, everybody. The divorce rate (laughs) has significantly increased since the early 1980s, is the question. True or false? The divorce rate has significantly increased since the early 1980s. True or false? Huh? Well, it doesn't appear to be moving much. I think we have a winner. Uh, Mark, let's go to four. Okay, what percentage of couples are, are happily married? Happily, so there's the happily married is what we're looking for. What percentage are happily married? Uh, well, we, got a, we have a few optimistic people. Uh-huh. Optimist, optimism bounds. Wonderful. Okay, I think we, looks like we have a clear winner. I think we have one final one, don't we there, Mark? Yep, okay, here we go. I need you all to remember this stuff because we're going to come back to it later. I'm not giving you the answers on this now. What is, there's four factors of this. You guys are fast readers. You're such smart Washingtonians. Uh, the divorce rate for couples who marry after their mid-20s, have a college degree, attend church, which you all are doing, and uh, who aren't living together before marriage, okay? What is the divorce rate on that? Hello? Whoa! Really? Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, you're very similar to the first service. You're very optimistic people. That's why you're going to church. Okay. <laughs> uh, so there's lots of uh, information about divorce rates and all this kind of data that I'm giving you. Much of this data is confirmed by other sources as well. But um, this comes out of a book. It's a research study that's been done for years called The Good News About, about Marriage, these stats. I'll come back to, uh, to those answers later on. All right, let's talk about hope for a minute. This is really, really important. So Shante uh, Feldhahn, who wrote that book, The Good News About Marriage, she interviewed a lot of couples, and here's the one thing she came up with. Here's the quote. Eventually it was clear, and this is why this is super important to all of us here, okay? Eventually it was clear that there was one common denominator among marriages that survived versus those that failed, and it was hope. Hope is really important. There are many factors that led to either outcome, of course, but underneath it all was the bottom line. Did the couple have a sense of hope? So in other words, you know, if you feel, okay, you know, 50% divorce rate and my marriage isn't going well, and I got a 50-50 chance, I'm, it's miserable right now, well, shoot, let's just, uh, let's just get divorced. This sense of hope. So couples had that sense of hopelessness that's busted apart. But the couples who thrived in a relationship maintained a sense of hope about it. Hope is very important. John Gottman, who is a marriage guru, runs a huge marriage clinic, written a ton of books on marriage. He scientifically looks at marriage. He looks at marriage much different than many people. He looks at it scientifically, and he says that he can predict up to like an 85% rate by talking to couples who aren't married yet, and he can tell them, okay, 
you're going to make it or you're not going to make it. And this, he's been doing these studies for like 25 years. So he looks at it in a very scientific way and has proven himself over and over. He says this, he calls it, he says, there are four horsemen of the apocalypse and his two first horses running the apocalypse on your marriage are contempt and criticism. He says this, quote, negativity, a marriage's major predator can overgrow and eventually kill off the positive reasons a husband and wife bonded in the first place. So we need Hope. Marriage experts agree on this, that we need hope. Now, you all know what a purveyor is. A purveyor is somebody who specializes in some product. This one specific thing that they specialize in. And what I want to tell you this morning is God is the purveyor of hope in our world. Return to God so he can give you hope. There's my one single purpose this morning. Return to God so he can give you hope. And I want to be clear on this. Returning to God doesn't just mean you say, oh God, you know, here I come. Here I come, God. I'm seeking you once again. Uh, my marriage has failed and I've had a divorce or my marriage is failing or my marriage is stale or I really want to find love and God, I'm seeking you. That's not what returning to God means. It means that, but it means something else too. It means something more. It means doing things God's way. So Naomi and her husband, and when they took off with their sons, they weren't just saying, God... We don't trust you anymore. We're not going to pray to you anymore. They're saying, we're not going to do things your way. We're going to do things our way. That's the who's your daddy part of it coming in, right? We're going to do things our way. And there's a difference between the two. Return to God so God can give you hope. Now, you know what's fascinating here? What does God use in Naomi's life, as bitter as she was, as hurt as she was over the death of her husband, the death of her two sons, what does God use to get her to come back to the land to trust in God again? You know, we often were waiting around for God, some big bright light. Oh, I saw this bright light and I figured it was God and so I ran back to God. Does God show her a bright light and then she goes back to trusting in God? Isn't it interesting? You know what she needs? Does anybody know the answer who's read the book before? What is, what is it? What brings her back? Food. <laughs> Very practical. Food. Prodigal son, Luke 15. Famous story. You don't even have to be a Bible reader to understand that story. Everybody talks about the prodigal son. What got him out of the pig pen and to go back to his father? It was food. Here's my question to you. You're waiting on a bright light. You're waiting on some big spiritual experience. What practical thing is God using in your life right now to bring you back to him, to return to God? Because this is a constant theme in the Bible. What is God using? You know what? God used a dentist one time in my life to bring me back to God. It's very practical. I was in a lot of pain and I had to take a few days off of work and God just rattled my cage. It's very practical. I didn't appreciate him using a dentist, but he did. And I'm asking you, I'm asking you, what practical thing is God using in your life right now to get you to return to him? Because God is always trying to get us to return to him. So what practical thing is God using in your life to do that? We often get very stubborn, impatient. We become independent, right? This is who we are as people. I'm going to do marriage my way, I can make this work, particularly us, high-capacity Washingtonians, right? The best and the brightest that our nation has to offer are in this city, right? We're going to make it on our own because we are smart, accomplished people. This is what we're going to do. And that temptation is there so strong. But does it work? doesn't work. That's the Moab way. Now, we're going to show you a clip from Breaking Bad. I need you to listen very carefully to this science experiment because it has a lot to say about romantic relationships, about dating and marriage. So let's roll the clip, see what he has to say. All right, on the bottom we have a 5% solution of acetic acid in water and on top a triglyceride. These two liquids, both polar and nonpolar, are what we call immiscible. 
No matter how much mechanical energy I apply, their molecular structure, specifically the cohesion of like molecules and repulsion of unlike ones, prevents these two liquids from staying mixed, as you can see. However, if I add to this a specific complex protein, which here behaves as an emulsifier. Ooh, everybody got your eye protection on? Uh, emulsifier. Two things that normally have no business mixing, in this case, vegetable oil and vinegar, for example, can blend with the addition of the right emulsifier, forming what we call an emulsion. Hmm? In this case, mayonnaise. <laughs> Tasty. All right, why did I want to play that clip? Look, you see what he said? Put as much energy towards this as you want. You can't make the two things come together. Put as much energy as you want, and you can't make it come together. You have to add the egg. Now, what is that? God has to be in the middle of our journey towards marriage. God has to be in the middle of our marriages. We are trying so hard, banging our heads against a wall to make this thing work, and that's the Moab way. Or we can say, you know what, God, I'm going to return to you, and I'm going to do things your way. And that's more than just praying. Uh, Bono from U2, lead singer, U2, Bono. He's famous for saying this. He's, he's said it a number of times. I've actually showed the clip before. He said, you know what, early in his life, he used to say, hey, God, I'm doing these things. Come down over here and bless what I'm doing. And he realized that was completely wrong, so he changed. He came over here. He says, God, open my eyes to what you're doing and help me to join in what you're already blessing. Big difference. Big difference. Which way are you handling it? Are you simply going about life, doing things your way, asking God to bless what you're doing? Or are you asking God to open your eyes and show you the way God operates not the Moab way, the way God operates, trusting in God, returning to God. Hey, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I'm not asking you to be a part of what I'm doing. There's a huge difference in the two. And when we're doing it any other way, other than saying, God, open my eyes the way you do things, I want to be a part of that, we're trying to force things together, and it's not going to work. It's going to lead to a bunch of knots on our head. So return to God. Return to God. So what is God trying to do? What are God's priorities? God is trying to develop character in us. God says it so clearly in the Scripture. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. He's interested in character. Marriage experts agree. I have a quote here from you, from Terry Orbach. 
It's a marriage expert. She says, trust is a must. Trust is a must. If you don't have trust, you have nothing. Listen, listen. Last week we talked about this. We said in a marriage relationship, if love is dwindling, if love is dwindling, start something new. It's a proven fact, proven fact that it rekindles romance. It rekindles love. According to Revelation chapter 2 and according to all the studies, that's the way it works. It's the, it just it ignites things. It ignites. But listen, listen to me on this. If you're in a relationship with somebody that doesn't have any character or you don't have character yourself, if you're in that kind of relationship, you can start new stuff till, till the cows come home, baby. You can do new stuff every single day of the week. Trust is fuel. You can try to start that car and get your engine running. There's no fuel in the tank. You're not igniting anything. You don't have a relationship if you're in a relationship where there's not character and there's not trust. You have a false relationship. Forget the new stuff. It's never going to work. Trust is at the basis of everything, character, and that's what God wants to develop in us. That's God's way of doing things. That's what it means to return to God. Not only does it mean just, oh God, I'm seeking you for your help, I'm looking for your guidance, but God, I know you're about character. That's what you want to develop in my life. And so I need to allow you to develop character in me, and I need to be looking for somebody who also has character, because that's the kind of person you want in my life. So Ruth, Ruth, in, in the love story here that we're reading that's only four chapters long, is absolutely awesome. She is known throughout the entire city of Bethlehem as a woman of noble character. Isn't that interesting? She's a woman of noble character. And how about Boaz, this person that we're going to meet? Like, we haven't gotten to him yet, but there's the hope. There's a guy out there, and his name, is, his name is Boaz. And this guy, Boaz, is a person of great character because Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, says what he says what he says, he will do. That's character. And he won't rest until what he said to you, he will do. And what I'm encouraging you today is to look for somebody of character and to develop character in your own life. That's God's way of doing things. Look what uh, Terry Orbuck says. Here's where it becomes very difficult in our romantic relationships. Our brains are wired to make instant conclusions, but these conclusions are severely flawed. What is she trying to say? We look at what's on the outside. God says, you look at what's on the outside, and God says, I look at the heart. And we need to look at what God's looking at. We need to become the people that God wants us to become. And when we're out there looking for somebody in a relationship, look for character. This is what Ruth and Boaz did. Returning to God means more than just seeking God. It means doing things God's way. Um... All these relationship experts will tell you that we have a problem as people. We have this thing that they call a beauty bias. We look at the outside and go, oh, okay, that person, whatever reason about that person, they look beautiful to us. They're attractive to us. And so we think because the way they look on the outside, we think, oh, well, this is going to work. This is what I want and this is what I need. <laughs> and it's not what you want and it's not what you need at all. And some of us have been, sadly, some of us have learned that very, very hard way. And men, for years, have been known as very, you know, we're very surface. We just look totally at the outside, and women are so much deeper than we are. We know this, right? I was at, um, I think it was a Father's Day thing a couple years ago, and we went over to the Peking Gourmet Duck. I don't even know the name of that place over in Nicolemore. Anybody ever been there? All the presidents and all the high... What, do you work there? Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so we're at like, one of their huge tables, we're at one of their huge tables, and my mom is giving out gifts, and she had, she's famous for giving gifts out in big, big bags. And so the bag that she chose that day had this huge picture of Marilyn Monroe on it. And my dad, who's straight across the table, looks at me and says, Johnny, I, I want you to know something. Uh, your grandfather just always had a soft spot in his heart for Marilyn Monroe. 
And he said, it was so odd to me. I don't know why. I just said, Dad, that's so unusual because most men are repulsed by Marilyn Monroe. You know what I said? I just can't. Men are very, 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 very shallow. And women really have, they really look to character. I mean, that's the first thing that grabs your attention. You look to character, it just oozes out character, and you're immediately attracted to a guy of character instead of a guy who looks good on the surface. I had lunch with a friend of mine a number of years. It was actually about 10 years ago, and we were meeting at Cafe Deluxe for lunch. It was a weekday, Cafe Deluxe in Tyson's Corner, and when you pull up to Cafe Deluxe, there's all these big, huge windows, so everybody can see who's coming in or who's driving, because you drive right by the windows to get there. My buddy, he drove in just right in front of me. He was in a silver car, and I was in a silver car. We drove right by the window, and we walked in at the same time. And I noticed this was really striking. It hurt me deeply. And so that's why I'm telling you the story. So we, we walked in, walked through the door. And here's my buddy. My, okay? my, my, he's completely bald. He's like bald as an eagle, right? I mean, he's totally bald. Not that you can't be handsome and be bald. I don't want to get anybody upset with me. Okay, I see you. <laughs> see you. He was completely bald. He was shorter than me. He was uh, larger than me. And um, he just wasn't as good looking as me is the bottom line. So what I'm trying to say <laughs> And we walked in, there was, there was like um, five or six professional women, probably in their late 20s, early 30s-ish, you know, range, and they're all standing there at the bar, which is the first thing you come to when you walk into Cafe Deluxe. And every single one of them turned around and just stared at my buddy, just like... Bzzz. And, I mean, they didn't even... It would have been nice if their eyes would have darted to me just a second. Like, but it wasn't even a dart. It was like wasn't even there like I didn't even exist and they were just gawking he didn't even pay attention to them and they were just drooling and I thought man what is the deal with this thing I got thinking about that because it bothered me so much for a few days <laughs> like laying awake, laying awake at night thinking about what is up with this I drove in in a silver brand new silver Toyota RAV4 and my buddy drove in in a brand new silver Ferrari <laughs> but they must have sensed the character in this guy <laughs> The character was so, so deep, so deep, and they were immediately drawn. So we have this, we have this beauty bias. There are certain things that attract us. And look, look, so you want to look for somebody like a Ruth and Boaz. This is God's way of doing things. This is what you want to be drawn to. This is what you want to pray about. This is what it means to return to God. You want to look for somebody who's reliable, dependable, consistent. They're good to their word. They have a good relationship history right? People know them as people of character. Those are the qualities that are gold. They're gold in God's eyes. But if we're drawn to something else, we could end up shipwrecking ourselves. You want to look for that. And while you are patiently waiting for your Ruth or your Boaz, don't settle for something less. It's just going to hurt your future relationships. Now, there's a little story uh, that I'm going to read to you, and it was written. Now, it's written specifically towards women, but you can apply it to men or women. And it was all about this whole Ruth and Boaz thing. And it was written to ladies as you're waiting for your Boaz. Here's some, like, words of advice to, to, to glean from as you're waiting for your Boaz. So I'm just going to read it to you. This is what it says. While you're waiting on your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives, all right? While you're waiting on your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke as, lying as, cheating as, dumb as, drunk as, cheap as, locked up as, good for nothing as, and lazy as. And, and okay. 
I'm almost done. Okay. And especially his third cousin beating your ass. Wait on your Boaz and make sure he respects your ass. Okay. 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 There is a lot, you know, hope. Obviously, hope is huge. Hope is huge in our relationship. We turn to God. God gives us hope. We do things God's way. God gives us hope. We're looking for a person of character. That's who Ruth and Boaz are. We have, we have hope. You're in a relationship with somebody who does not have character. You can work as hard as you, just like Walter White said on the clip, you work as hard as you want. It's not going to come together. We need to return to God, and that's more than prayer. It's doing things God's way and looking for things that God looks for, and we need to be about those things. Now, there's a lot to be hopeful about. So we have a certain idea in the United States of America about what's happening in relationships and what's happening in marriage. So let me review to you. The first question I asked you uh, about was, what is the approximate divorce rate in the United States of America? And most people said true. It's around 50%. Here's, here's, here's what the reality is. The divorce rate has never gotten close to 50% in the United States of America. The divorce rate in the United States of America is about 30%. It's around 30%. Okay? What percentage of people are still married to their first spouse? Okay? That answer is about 72% in the United States of America. Some are thinking, man, I'm never going to get married because I know people have been divorced or my parents got divorced. I'm never going to get married. It's not quite as bleak as what you think. There's a lot more hope out there. All right. The divorce rate has significantly increased since the early 1980s. That is false. It is significantly decreased. Actually, it has decreased 30 2% since it's high in 1981. During the, during the 70s in America, we went through no-fault divorce, and there was a rush. It was like, oh, I can get divorced, and I don't, whatever. And so there's a rush, and some people got divorced that shouldn't even gotten divorced, but they were, I'm free to do whatever I want, so I did it. And so there's a rush on divorce, and it reached its peak in 1981, but it's decreased 32% since that time. What percentage of couples are happily married? Can you believe this? What did we say? I think, I think if I remember right, the answer up there was like it was A or B, somewhere between like 35, 40, 50%. The, the actual number is 80% of married couples are happily married. Is that amazing? 80%. Would we think that? No, I would never think that. And finally, what is the divorce rate for couples who marry in their mid-20s? I mean, nobody's getting married. I mean, people years ago got married very young. It's, I don't marry anybody <laughs> young, young, early 20s anymore, right? Everybody's more like 30s and beyond is the weddings that I do. They get married in their mid-20s. They have a college degree, right? They attend church, which you guys are doing, and they don't live together before marriage. You know what the divorce rate is for that? It's about somewhere between 5 and 10%. There's a lot to be hopeful for. Returning to God is more than just, hey, God, could you come over here and bless what I'm doing? You know, why don't you come on down and bless what I'm doing? Returning to God means, hey, God... Not only am I seeking you through prayer and asking for your wisdom and guidance, but you know what? I want, I want to do things your way. And what does God want to do? He wants to develop character. And what should we be looking for? We should be looking for characters. If you don't have character, you don't even have a relationship. If you're in a relationship with somebody who doesn't have character, you're not in a relationship. I don't know what you're in, but it's not a relationship. Because trust is the fuel. Trust is fuel for every relationship. But you can try as hard as you want. Your engine is just never going to start up. And so here's the thing. When we return to God, as Naomi does with Ruth, they return to God, they go back to God, God gives hope. God is the purveyor of hope. And what I want to tell you this morning, if you're looking for love, keep trusting God and do things God's way. I know things get miserable at times. I know things get bitter at times. I know things look hopeless and helpless at times. But I want to tell you, do things God's way. You'll be so thankful when it's all over that you did dating God's way. If you're in a marriage 
man, don't try to do it on your own. We're going to get extremely practical from this point on uh, in this series the next two weeks. Just all kinds of practical things that ignite a dating life or a married life, whatever. We're going, to do, we're going to do that. But I want to say right up front, the one thing that you need is hope, and God is the purveyor of hope. And I want to encourage you to return to God. Have God be in the middle of that relationship. We're trying to force two things together that just won't, no matter how much energy you put to it, it's not coming together. But God can bring you together. And if your marriage is dissolved... It's fallen apart. And you don't know what you... I mean, look, Naomi's marriage was over. He was dead. There's no resurrecting that. It's over. God gave her hope. There's tremendous hope out there for you. The one thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, and we talk Galatians chapter 5, what's the Spirit want to do in your life? Is the Holy, Holy Spirit wants to bring joy in your life. The Holy Spirit wants to bring joy. Do you know what joy is? Joy is, is you being hopeful and optimistic even in the midst of a disaster. That's what the word means. And God wants to do that. I talked to, I'm almost done, I talked to a, a, a lady last week. She was State Department heading straight into the Ebola situation, right? Uh, Sierra Leone, Liberia, she was going to all these countries and she had had tremendous fear and she was just nervous, as, right? Because <laughs> she's going into the teeth of the tiger. But a bunch of people here have been praying for her and she's been praying and she was leaving last Sunday night and I saw her out at the food truck last week and I said, hey, look, I'm praying for you. And she said, hey, look, I want to tell you something. I don't know why I feel joy and peace, but I do. Some of you guys are in situations that there's no reason why you should feel joyful and peace. But I'm going to tell you about the power of the Holy Spirit to work in your life, to do what only God can do. And I want to encourage you to return to God. Even though your relationship's broken apart, God can do a powerful thing. Now, I want you to watch a short video, and then we're going to end, okay? This is really powerful. Listen to what our very own Cynthia Butler says. Let's roll the tape. I was a Christian, married a Christian, married my high school sweetheart. One day, he just walked in, literally walked in our home and said, I'm out of here. That crushed me to a level that I can't even describe. I didn't know what to do. Um, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't realize, but it had taken me into a depression. I didn't even know what depression was. People would not believe that to see me today, but actually considered suicide. The only thing that kept me from killing myself was I heard what I now know is the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, who will take care of Lisette? I crawled, literally, on my hands and knees from the mattress, rolled onto the floor, crawled to my sink, and climbed my way up the side of the sink enough so that I could begin to wash my face. I would say, God, you are going to have to help me. I'm not going to make it through this if you don't come and help me now. I didn't know it then, but God always has a plan for your life. He always has a plan for your life. On that floor, I didn't see that future. But now here I am, 20 years later, and I am leading Divorce Recovery Ministry here at Grace. You never know how God is going to use what might seem like your darkest day. Don't give up on God. That's awesome. Cynthia Butler right here. Listen, listen, I'm ending right now, but I want to tell you this. God is answering prayer. That's an answer to prayer. That's an answer to prayer. And God is answering prayers all the time right on that prayer wall over there. And some of you need to go over to that wall today and allow God to come down 
and answer your prayers and bring you hope. I've asked Cynthia, she's on the prayer team already, but I asked her if she would be here both services. She's going to be over there if some of you want her to pray for you. But God wants to do a powerful thing in our lives today, and I'm asking you, would you allow God to do that? Okay? Now, we're going to end with prayer. Uh, if you're new uh, here to Grace and you want to know what this church is all about, we do something right over here, right in this area over here called Grace in Five. We tell you everything there is to know about this church in five minutes or less. Prayer is over here. Grace in Five is over here. And we're believing for God to do a miracle in people's lives today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that we can have hope in you. For those of us who are single and bitter and hurting and empty and wondering when, 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 We're going to find that person and our lives are going to be changed. God, I just ask that you would bring hope to our journey today. For those of us in a stale marriage or a marriage that is falling apart, would you, God, bring hope? And for those of us who have already had a marriage that has failed and we're hurting, we're empty, we're afflicted, and we're bitter about it, God, this very day, may you rend the heavens and come down and bring hope to a hurting people that you love so much. Lord, be with us. In Christ's name, amen. God bless everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.